And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason where we meet each week on this program. Coming to you from the mothership in Irondale, Alabama, where our founders, Mother Angelica, started it all. And thanks to her, I'm Doug Keck, here as your gatekeeper as we enter into the universe and email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at ewgen.com. Especially important because today is a Q&A show. And check out all of Father Spitzer's websites. There's themagiscenter.com, purposefuluniverse.com, and spitzercenter.org. And Father Spitzer's Universe, as we mentioned, is always available on our EWTN YouTube channel and the EWTN On Demand page. And, you know, we have so many programs there. So while you're there, check out on our On Demand page the spots, the Catholic Blitz. Some short spots with Father John Tregilio and Ken Briganti as they race against the clock to answer your questions about the faith. See it now and free it on demand. We've got a lot of good feedback. It's a quick way to get some information about the church. It might be something even some younger people would find interesting and entertaining. And again, our topic today is answering viewer questions. And the book of the month for November, Rejoicing in Our Hope, Meditations for Advent and Christmas for both of those seasons. And it's by our great friend, Bishop Robert J. Baker, who had been the bishop here in Birmingham has been a great support to the network over the years. Speaking of great supporters, we have our own Father Spitzer out there at the Christ Cathedral in Orange County, California, waiting for us. Great to see you, Father. Great to see you, too. I've used the term loosely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so if you'd like to kick things off on this Q&A show with sure. a prayer, that'd be great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, especially the blessing of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you today to send your Holy Spirit down upon us, Doug, myself, our whole listening audience, and our team, uh, to give that spirit to us to inspire, protect, and guide us so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. And yes, this is a Q&A show. But first, I wanted to get to a story, which is kind of like responding to a question, because mm -hmm. somebody had written to us several months ago about the Canadian mass grave story that uh, came out about two years ago. And they had pointed out that, yeah. at least at that time, that for all that had been said, nothing really had been found. So here's something that was just put out by uh, the Catholic League and Bill Donahue. And he, he noted that in yeah. 2014, uh, he wrote an article about mass graves and a hysteria of claims. And this was in Ireland, okay, about nine years ago, that 800 bodies uh -huh. of children were found in mass graves outside a former home run by the nuns near, in a town near Galway. Now, it turned out to be, and you've heard this stuff, whether it's the Magdalene sisters or other stories that are out there, it was all a hoax. That's mm -hmm. the thing. People don't know what really turned out. Yeah. And as he said, I suspected there was no mass grave. The result, it made the anti-Catholic activists and journalists look like fools. But they, got, they made hay, and a lot of people walk around today thinking those things really happened. Well, now let's move ahead to two years ago. The Canadian government claimed mm -hmm. that Indian children were buried in mass graves at residential schools established by the government and run in part by the Catholic Church, not mostly, but at least some of them were. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau sounded the alarm and ordered the nation's flag be flown at half-mass, pledged $40 billion to settle with those associated 
with the alleged victims. It goes on to say, it looks like Trudeau and all the critics of the Catholic Church were fooled. It's becoming increasingly apparent that the story is also a hoax. After 14 sites were evacuated recently, not one mass grave has been found. Indeed, the body count is zero. The story began in 2021 after claims about unmarked graves uh, emerged. Immediately, pundits and activists speculated the Catholic Church uh, was to blame. That, that's always, we're a good whipping boy for the deaths of thousands of indigenous yeah. children. And this person, Murray Sinclair, who was chosen to chair the report of the truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, opined that the number of corpses was in the range of 15 to 25,000. And now the attorney and member of wow. the Pegasus uh, First Nation can't even find one. So as of at least the time that this report came out about a month or so ago, they've looked and they haven't found anything. Meanwhile, that story still is out there as an urban legend. Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, uh, the Catholic Church is an exceptionally good whipping boy. Uh, mm -hmm. We seem to take it well. We try to fit into society. Uh, of course, uh, uh, we um, uh, believe that our accusers have uh, appropriate evidence on which to base the accusation. And it uh, seems, again, we have been uh, shown to be um, innocent um, when accused and that there wasn't a shred of evidence before these news stories came out and you know opining that uh, you know you have 15 to 20,000 bodies without a shred of evidence is pretty irresponsible and I would just ask that an apology be given right, a public apology by not only the people who made the accusation without any evidence right. but also uh, on the part of the government now of course I don't know about the Canadian government but I mean for all intents and purposes this would normally be viewed as as you know libelous for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes and and worthy of a lawsuit I'm sure the Catholic Church won't do it right. but um, I do think a public apology is is certainly the least you can do right. when you have just blasted the reputation libelously of of the the church without a shred of evidence right. it'd be nice to have for once an apology. Right. And also, and I, I, I think the number might have been as high as 80, but I don't want to be quoted. We forget about how many uh. churches were burned during that period of time, yeah. you know, as exactly. uh, you know, in that two year in that certainly in the first year where there was yeah. this, uh, which seemed to be tied to kind of this pushback and you know, at the church for causing all of these deaths. Yeah. And so well, I think even public yeah. uh, I think even Pope Francis made a public apology, right. um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when he was visiting Canada or something like right, that. Right, last year, right, right, mm -hmm. last year. Right, last mm -hmm. year. Right, so uh, again, it, it's not to excuse everything that happened or sh what should have happened, but uh, when you get egregious no. charges like these, people need to understand what's real and what's not real because they're still walking around as if these things are true. In the back of their mind, uh, and yeah. it's good for. Good well, loyal. it's also the responsibility. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was no. just going to say it. Go it's ahead, good for, sure. for uh, you know, Catholics in Canada, especially, to be able to know that information. Mm -hmm. So when they're dealing with yeah. other people who are th throwing these charges around, that they have a response. Absolutely, I totally agree. Okay, very good. Let's get to uh, our Q and A, beginning here. Here's, here's, here's a, a letter from somebody who's a keen watcher and understander, uh, understanding of the EWTN approach to this show. Dear Father Spitzer, 
I watch your show three times a week, the original airing and two reruns. I just can't understand most of the things you discuss on the show. You use so many big oh, no. words. <laughs> you use so many big words. This is the best part. I also watch, love watching Doug pretending he understands everything you say. <laughs> They're right about that. <laughs> I guess I'm not as pretending as well as I was hoping I was. <laughs> I clearly admit I don't understand everything you're saying. Could you use simpler terms so those of us with less education can understand? I will continue to watch regardless. I'm praying for you and all the EW10 crew. And that's Janet. God love you, Janet. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Janet, I'll use as simple a words as I can, but like Mozart said to the emperor when the emperor told him, you know, Mozart, you've used too many notes. <laughs> and he just replied, but sire, I used only as many as I required. So I'll try to use the simplest words I can without undermining the requirements of the, of the topic. How's that? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Very good, thank you so much, Father. I appreciate it. Next up. <laughs> Dear Father Spitzer, when does stealing become a mortal sin? There's a big difference between taking a couple of pens home from the office supply cabinet and defrauding the company of thousands of dollars. But where does one draw the line? Luke. Well, Luke, I, I think, um, you know, when you're trying to draw the line on the, on the gravity of the matter, it, it's very, very difficult to do. But, you know, I think, of course, the two pens you know, are not, you know, the biggest thing in the, in the world. And, of course, everybody is, does this, you know, I, I swipe people's, you know, I'm doing a, a, a photo, you know, an autograph session or something mm -hmm. like that. Somebody gives me a pen and I could just as easily stick it in my pocket, you know, and then, you know, wow, where did I get all these pens, you know, at the end right. of the day. Right. Right. But I mean, uh, for all intents and purposes, that's not going to be a problem. Right. But I do think, uh, uh, honestly, if you start getting into the, you know, what I'd say, the, uh, uh, this is just a, a Spitzerian mm -hmm. guesstimate, you know, about $10 or something here, you're, $5 even. You're, it's not mortal necessarily, but boy, you know, you're really pushing mm -hmm. the limit. I just don't think you should really, right. you know, be, be doing things where you're, you're taking, you know, a significant amount of value, uh, you know, without in some sense intending to re to uh, restore or right. you know give some form of compensation for what you're taking so I mean certainly by the time you get to 10 bucks you should probably be uh, uh, skidding there and I wouldn't be you know trying to get too close to the edge um, right. you know because uh, you know sometimes you just may fall off so anyway right. that's the best I can do as a guesstimate right well as you mentioned too I, I think the vast majority of people who end up taking pens or something like them do it you know, casually and don't even realize they did it. It was in their bag and they came home yeah. and, you know, whatever. I mean, if you're yeah. pilfering the supply closet, that might be a different story. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right, okay. So, uh, I mean, how many times have I borrowed, quote unquote, Xerox paper, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, but, so uh, that's where it's all hopefully going. Hopefully for okay. a good okay. use. Joan yeah, was wondering. Exactly. She, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, exactly. dear, dear Father Spitzer, the catechism discusses gravity of a mortal sin differs with the sin. For example, violence against one's parents is a graver mortal sin than violence against a stranger. Why would that be important if a single unrepented mortal sin of any type can send a person to hell? Andrew, so is violence against your parents worse than violence against a stranger? 
not to my knowledge. I had never heard I mean, that either. At I was that wondering. Point, okay, uh, yeah. I've never heard that at all, but I can tell you very uh, clearly, uh, don't do either. Right. Violence is, and of course, intentional and unnecessary violence. We're not talking about self-defense here, but uh, in intentional and unnecessary violence, of course, is, uh, is a grave sin, and you're absolutely right. A grave sin is a grave sin, and if you did it with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will, and uh, was completely unnecessary, uh, you get the point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's a mortal sin, and you, you shouldn't do it. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Along those lines, dear Father Spitzer, Jesus said anyone who divorced and remarried committed adultery. Moses allowed people to divorce and remarry because of their hardness of heart. Were the people before Jesus' time guilty of the sin of adultery? This is Larry. No. Right. No, because Larry, uh, obviously, they couldn't have had sufficient knowledge since, of course, Revelation had not caught up to that point. And so uh, uh, the uh, best of Jewish authorities allowed for a range of divorces. And, you know, and uh, the causes for divorces, you know, were, were very, very... Uh, um, you know, diverse. So, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, one uh, brand, you know, uh, uh, area of Jewish thought actually, uh, you know, supposed that if your wife was a bad cook, mm -hmm. that would be sufficient grounds for divorce. Uh, other, you know, um, uh, Jewish um, uh, schools thought uh, differently. They were stricter, and so certainly there was a, mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of debate between uh, the various schools of thought, but it, divorce was permitted. Mm. Uh, there was no, uh, uh, you know, thought that a marriage per se uh, was permanent and mm. exclusive. And so, um, uh, um, at the time of Jesus, the the preparation work had been done, but the idea of um, a single, uh, exclusive, permanent marriage um, that comes. Uh, into play really during the, the prophetic period. In the um, uh, patriarchal period, obviously, there a multiplicity of wives uh, was allowed. That's from 1800 to 1200 BC. Mm -hmm. From 1200 BC, uh, pretty much through the end of the monarchical period, that would include David and Solomon. Mm -hmm. uh, bigamy, certainly, if you could support your wife mm -hmm. or wives in this particular case, uh, that was uh, permitted. But then, um, you know, you can see that Moses, even though he permits, uh, uh, you know, bigamy or actually uh, polygamy, mm -hmm. um, uh, you can see that as the prophetic period begins, um, and that would be even with Elijah and Elisha. The idea of having multiple wives is getting more and more distasteful. And several of the uh, major and minor prophets would compare, mm -hmm. uh, you know, polygamy to um, polytheism and would uh, compare monogamy uh, with uh, monotheism. Well, needless to say, with a comparison like that, that is a strong, strong teaching signal and an analogical um, argument that basically says that polygamy is to, mm -hmm. you know, is not an ideal state. Uh, you should be going for monogamy. Mm -hmm. And so eventually over the course of time, uh, what you see is when Israel is exiled, um, you know, and uh, comes back from the exile, they really do have a different view of polygamy uh, by the end of the exilic period. And so as you're kind of moving into the Hellenistic area and, um, you know, the mm -hmm. uh, 
the, the uh, monogamy that was, you know, more or less a part of uh, some of those cultures, mm -hmm. uh, you can see pretty clearly that uh, Judaism not only ad adopted but stood out in the forefront of, uh, of uh, monogamous relationships. So the pr way it had been prepared uh, before Jesus, but, you know, Jesus is the one who says, you know, one permanent exclusive relationship between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. That's what marriage is, and that, of course, becomes the norm. And divorce, Jesus says, this is a sacred thing. He goes back to the time of the Creator and says right. the Creator's initial intention was to make this permanent and exclusive. Mm -hmm. So the idea, you know, then would be if that's the Creator's intention from the beginning, then that is right. writ that marriage was intended by God to be a sacred bond, which sacred bond was inviolable meant to be exclusive and permanent. Couldn't violate it with other partners, couldn't violate it with divorce. Mm -hmm. And that basically was um, writ large into mm -hmm. the uh, Christian church right from its inception, as you can see in the Didache, uh, which is a very early um, church catechism from around 80 AD. Uh, you can see that, of course, abortion is right there, is mm -hmm. prohibited too in that same catechism. <clears throat> in 80 AD. So these kinds of moral prescripts were, um, were very well solidified uh, by, before uh, the turn of the first mm -hmm. century. Well, let me ask you, I mean, if somebody hears our Lord's words there where he says man and woman clearly, how is it that there are people yeah. even inside the church, certainly in other uh, non-Catholic uh, denominations, the case who seem to believe that, uh, you know, men can marry men and women can marry women? I am baffled uh, if you're trying to get a scriptural interpretation right. of that. I just don't think it can be sustained. Uh, I think, um, uh, you know, Jesus' use of, uh, you know, a man and a woman uh, in his, uh, you know, putting this back, you know, to say what the Creator's initial intention was, mm -hmm. uh, putting man and woman in there clearly indicates his intention. He wouldn't right. have done that otherwise. Could have easily said to people, to individuals, whatever it may be, but he didn't. He said mm -hmm. a man and a woman. And so right. uh, the church, I think, has properly interpreted his words because any attempt to do otherwise is a gigantic interpolation, and that's just not right. workable. Right. And if you can figure out that uh, and say claim something was. Uh, you know, time specific or people specific, and you can start oh, changing yeah. it and throwing stuff out, then you basically can throw out anything you feel like throwing out, right? Oh, yeah. And I think Paul, St. Paul, very much, uh, you know, and when he, you know, he has these three passages one from Romans, I think it's one from uh, First Corinthians, and one from one Timothy, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it's two Timothy, I forget now. But it's pretty clear. Um, you know, that he is saying it's not Christ's intention uh, to have two people of the same sex being married. In fact, Paul uh, says that this is a clear violation of the intention of uh, not only Jesus, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, he believes even the intention of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, th uh, there's a Levitical code, Deuteronomic code, and he believes it, it's a violation of all three. So. Um, uh, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to do scriptural interpretation, 
Uh, you can't just say, well, what does the contemporary culture think? How am I going to read this into Jesus' words? Right. You pretty much have to take Jesus for what he said. And then if you want to just say, well, this is all historically relative, mm -hmm. because if he had been more informed mm -hmm. about uh, human nature, well, the idea of Jesus being more informed about human nature is sort of a funny proposition <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, right now people think, you know, oh, transgenderism, that's just a very good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's not a good thing. And, you know, and, and I might point out, you know, that the studies that have been done uh, in the Netherlands and um, other places that are very friendly to uh, homosexual lifestyle show that once you are into that lifestyle, uh, just to, to give you a sense, the depression rate goes up by three times, the anxiety rate goes up by 3.5 times, panic disorders go up by five times, major psychiatric disorders go up by 2.5 times, substance abuse goes up four times. I'm not talking about 4%, mm -hmm. I'm talking about four times, 400%, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you start looking at these things and you start thinking, and then you get to the suicide contemplation rate, right. and, and it's gone up between, depends on the poll, the survey or the study you're using, uh, between um, um, uh, five times to seven times, depending on what you're talking about. Contemplating suicide by acting it out, contemplating suicide by having, you know, uh, making, uh, you know, plans of a suicide, et cetera, et cetera. But depending on how you're defining su uh, contemplation of suicide, basically it's between um, uh, uh, 50, um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, between um, uh, a uh, five to seven mm -hmm. times increase, which puts the number of people in that uh, population, about 40% of the people who are actively living out that lifestyle, 40%. Mm -hmm. This is in the Netherlands where stigmatization is less important. Stigmatization is always there. It's always, you're going to affect things. But mm -hmm. in the Netherlands, you know, it's less so. Right. And New Zealand is less so. And so that's where these uh, surveys came from. And so if you're looking at it, 40% mm -hmm. of a population, you know, contemplating suicide is not a good thing. Right. It's, 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 there's something inherently wrong. Maybe Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was right uh, mm -hmm. about what this was doing. Not just in terms of emotional health, but spiritual health. The Pew survey, again, not a Catholic institution here, right? The, the, the surveys I was just quoting are from the archives of general psychiatry. But the Pew survey did a study, oh, I think back in 2014, and just said, what happens when you get into that homosexual lifestyle? Well, um, your declaration of atheism is doubled. Your um, uh, uh, church attendance is cut in half. Your uh, uh, time spent in prayer is cut in half. And your Bible reading or whatever mm -hmm. we want to call it, scripture uh, reading, is cut in half. So, I mean, you put it all together and it's not good for your spiritual life either. Mm -hmm. And so what you begin to say is, well, what is wrong with it? And the fact is we know that in that lifestyle, the number of sexual partners uh, goes up tremendously. I mean, there are variations of what the modal range is, but, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, the, the modal range has decreased mm -hmm. since AIDS, uh, since the AIDS epidemic, but I do believe that the Vanderveen study said somewhere that uh, the modal range was between 100 to 500 sexual partners, mm -hmm. even though about 20 
percent of um, a 25 percent or something was in the range of uh, between one to five partners. Mm -hmm. So you still look at those things and you say, could this actually be a cause of depression? I think so, right. because I do think sexuality is so intimate, it, you know, it, 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 it calls forth emotional intimacy at its deepest route. It, it, it requires a, a kind of a commitment to another person in terms of care and concern and understanding uh, in order to make that a very positive experience. If you pull it out of, you know, a kind of a monogamous uh, relationship that has a little bit of time, right, to go through the cycles of, you know, resistance and reacquaintance, resistance, closer bonding, to, sh you know, form that emotional intimacy. If you're just, you know, the average time uh, of, of a sexual encounter is less than a year or something, mm -hmm. then what winds up happening is you're just thrust out of the, uh, the emotional intimacy and the sexual part of the, of the um, uh, experience becomes the central issue. And when you focus on just the sex in there, mm -hmm. the partner can easily become an object. Right. And nobody, nobody wants to be a sexual object. What people want is to be loved. What they want is to be cared for. What they want are true expressions of care and love, like self-sacrifice or time committed or giving over, uh, you know, one's self uh, to the other, uh, you know, when there is a true need or not even, you know, just even to do it for the sake of affection. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of things that make people healthy and, you know, very, you know, uh, happy in their lives and, and ha happy in their intimate relationships. But if you just focus really so much on the sexual content because the emotional intimacy is never given any time mm -hmm. to develop, it's very hard to communicate to the other person that they are truly loved that they are truly, uh, you know, not just an object, mm -hmm. but the subject of abject care, concern, exclusivity, commitment, generativity, self-sacrifice, etc. So all these things that are really important uh, to what we would call a, a good marriage in the sense of Christ, that when you pull that out mm -hmm. and you really have a predominant affect like uh, sexuality, right, you know, the sexual act itself, it can become very aggressive, very non-caring, and in the end focus on how much ecstasy did I get today. Mm -hmm. If I didn't get much, I got to look for another partner. You're starting to bore me because what's of real interest to me is the sexual act. And then you start doing that a number of times, mm -hmm. as sometimes happens in um, these kinds of relationships, then what winds up being the case is very unhappy people. Right. It was not surprising that you could get 40% of that population right. in one form or another contemplating suicide. And it certainly doesn't um, uh, surprise me at all that the um, depression and anxiety levels are very, very high and the substance abuse levels as well. Right, let me ask you this question because we hear this out there. I mean, you made the point about, uh, you know, the Netherlands and kind of like the idea of as a general societal thing, but others would say, well, you know, it, yeah, the Bible reading and church attendance goes down because they're not welcomed. They're not welcomed by their local church. They're not welcomed by their local parish. And we were more welcoming and more accepting 
then maybe we wouldn't see those negative yeah. impacts on their spirituality. Well, I have no doubt that um, in terms of church attendance, mm -hmm. that some people feel that way, mm -hmm. that if they were more welcome, they would probably go. But why would that make you declare yourself to be an atheist mm -hmm. twice as often as somebody who's not in that population, mm -hmm. and, you know, acting out homosexual? Why would that make you read um, scripture less? I mean, but basically reading scripture is what, you know, a person wants to do on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could do it with another person, uh, but it's not necessarily have to happen at church uh, in that context. Hmm. And certainly, why would that inhibit your prayer life? Um, you okay. know, uh, why would that go down by 50%? But yeah, I, I could see how you could say, well, you know, um, you know, they don't feel welcome. But there are lots of churches around uh, that are welcoming and you know don't make this a, a, an issue at all mm -hmm. so you could go to church anonymously and you know nobody would you know say anything about it mm -hmm. uh, but my point is simply right. in the Netherlands um, you know there are all kinds right. of churches that are uh, very accepting etc of the right. person uh, even though they uh, would draw the line at the actual lifestyle and the activity or behavior uh, that's there right. Uh, so you can judge the act, but not the person. Right. But the point is pretty clear, though, that even despite that, uh, sp spiritual interest goes down. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's, it, it's like that, too. I mean, when sexuality becomes an end in itself, like in pornography, right, mm -hmm. where, you know, there is no real human object there. There's just a video object or a picture object, which is almost like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's like a... Uh, you know, a, a figure devoid of real emotions and real mm -hmm. feelings and real thoughts and real creativity and real needs and real drive and real love and real compassion. There's, I don't have to uh, be self-sacrificial for a video. I don't have to be uh, caring and commit my time and being understanding and try to establish emotional intimacy with a video. Uh, so, I mean, it's like you think, well, what, what is this all about? Well, it's just merely, a, a, you know, a, a mindless, feelingless surrogate mm -hmm. uh, that has sexuality as its primary objective. Right. And yeah. take a look at the statistics surrounding that. Right. The more pornography Absolutely. people read, even though they consider it a victimless sin, mm -hmm. the more depressed they become. Absolutely. And then you look at that University of Oklahoma study where they um, uh, correlated uh, prayer time and religious practice with reading pornography. I mean, who's going to stigmatize somebody right. on reading pornography at the church? I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think they don't even uh, know what the right. person is doing. I think and that's so where you your, see the same. That's where your conscience comes mm -hmm. in, and, and and that's why you have yeah. to avoid the yeah. spiritual stuff because it makes you too, feel too guilty. With that being the case, we're going to take a break, mm -hmm. and we can finish up on the other right. side. Stay right there, Father. And you stay with us on this Q&A program. Much more ahead, answering your questions on Father Spitzer's Universe. And we appreciate you staying with us here for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe as we're answering your questions. 
sent in by you, our viewers. But first, before we get to Father Spitzer, remind you about the National Eucharistic Revival coming up in July of 2024, July 17th to the 21st in Indianapolis, Indiana. In the summer, celebrate the power of the Eucharist with us and a lot of other people, hopefully 80,000 other people. Go to EW10.com forward slash Eucharist to see how you can register at a special discounted rate. Be great if you could register through us. That uh, impresses people that uh, the power of EWTN and, and the importance of this network to your spiritual life and for the church. And with that, we'll turn to Father Spitzer. Continue on. Did you want to finish up anything on that or uh, you want to just move to the uh, next question? No, I was just going to say, uh, just um, on to the next question. I okay, think very I good. My point, okay. As they say. <laughs> yeah, dear Father Spitzer, I try to go to confession monthly. However, I find myself confessing the same sins over and over. I do not seem to be getting worse, but I'm certainly not getting any better. Why can I not, why can I not make progress on improving my life? This is Mike. Well, Mike, um, I, I could probably say the same thing about myself, uh, at least at, in big six-month intervals or something. Mm -hmm. But I do know something, and that is, you know, when I start working on something, two things begin to happen. doesn't mean I have an automatic change in behavior, but one thing is I recognize when I'm doing something that I don't want to do a little more quickly. So if I'm going to hit the impatience button, <laughs> you know, if I'm really working at it, I find that I go, go, you know, I f I'm going to become, I'm going to be impatient here. I got to take two breaths mm -hmm. and I got to stop this, and you know, I got to push back and and just not do this. And so I get uh, really uh, better at it over mm -hmm. the course of time. And the thing is, is if you really do recognize, and that for me is the big thing, is recognizing when. I'm in that vulnerable position where I want to, you know, maybe express some impatience or I want to do something faster than somebody else or I hear somebody just actively resisting something I'm trying to do for the good of the kingdom and I'm just baffled like, why are you against this? You know, I mean, and, and uh, you know, you, so you, you're, you're you're going from zero to 50 at least pretty mm -hmm. quickly and I, the, the thing is catch yourself before you get to a hundred mm -hmm. but it's that little discipline and, and you know I mean if it's greedy impulses if it's lustful impulses if it's impatience impulses if it's envy impulses if it's vanity impulses if you can get that when you know you know, what your vulnerability is, whatever it is that you're mm -hmm. looking for, right? And you want, and you feel that this thing is coming um, on. You know, the main thing is just to have that reflexive grasp of, mm -hmm. uh-oh, uh, I'm, I'm getting pulled in here. And instead of going, uh, I'm going to actively resist this, I just say, relax. Mm -hmm. In other words, if I try to push back sometimes, mm -hmm. That doesn't work as well as if I just take a deep breath, relax, and after I tell myself to relax, I just say, Mary and Holy Spirit, help me. You know, Mother Mary and Holy Spirit, help mm -hmm. me. You know, and, you know, I just, after a while, that relaxation gets, becomes actually uh, more and more profound. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel like, okay, I can just back off it. Sometimes if I try and go, no, I'm not going to do that. 
mm. you know, I wind up kind of putting, you know, enough psychic energy out there so that I do it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of strange. So I just say, relax. Once I catch myself reflexively, I just, I tell myself, don't, you know, just, you know, this thing is gripping me. I want this thing, I, I want to move on it, whatever mm -hmm. it is, the impatience, whatever. And the minute I just say, okay, just relax for a second, mm -hmm. you know, what it does is it brings down the psychic energy level and then the prayer, I swoop it in mm -hmm. just with the prayer. And Mary and the Holy Spirit are my best helpers. So I pray to them. Mm -hmm. And it seems to work. I make little improvements. Mm -hmm. But if I were to say, oh, every six months, you know, if I were to go and say, oh, what, since my last confession a month ago, I was, am I improved? I'd probably have to tell you, mm, not really. Mm -hmm. But over like a six-month period, sometimes I can say, you know, I'm doing a little better at mm -hmm. this, you know, and sometimes somebody, they will do something and you just say, oh my gosh, you know, this thing, you know, that person's being very arrogant or that person's being this or that, and then you got to just, you want to react, and just all I can tell you is just say relax, mm -hmm. pray, and it, oftentimes, 50% of the time anyway, uh, you'll see, you, you will, um, uh, be able to resist the temptation as it comes. Right, and and again, even in, by going to confession, you're certainly battling uh, a temptation you obviously have. And if you yeah. weren't willing to do that, it yeah. would probably would be getting much worse. So at least you're staving oh, it off. In fact, so, right? Yeah, as you say, holding your own is not a bad thing. Right. But just keep your sights up too for a little improvement, right. and right. that's one thing: is nip that in the bud, not by actively resisting but just by relaxing right. and praying. Try that one out for a second, and I think you may be a little more successful. Uh, if, if you're like right. anything like me, you might be a little more successful in your resistance. Yeah, you gotta break out of that spiral you get yourself caught into and just yeah. get out of that, you know. Exactly. Okay, next up, Dear Father Spitzer, one of the conditions for someone to commit mortal sin is the person must know that the action is a sin. If that is true, why would God allow yeah. the devil to enter someone using a Ouija board if they don't know they are granting the devil rights to enter them? Hillary. Well, um, you know, Hillary, uh, uh, God um, will, you know, he knows what our viewpoint is, right? He, he knows what our freedom level is. Now, oftentimes, um, you know, when somebody is playing with a Ouija board, um, look, you put yourself in the position of this person. You start seeing the planchet moving by itself, even though people's fingers are on the board, mm -hmm. right? And you start running out of explanations for why that planchet is moving on the board. You think to yourself, hmm, uh, you know, maybe a spirit is moving this thing. Maybe this spirit, you know, is doing this. Now, just think to yourself, why are you fascinated with this? What is it that you hope to get out of this? Why do you continue playing with this? Once you know that a spirit may be moving that planchet, why don't you just say, I've had enough, mm -hmm. I'm scared, I'm getting out of here, I don't want anything more to do with this. You know, a lot of the time, a lot of people have that reaction. Sometimes, of course, people get, you know, um, uh, their peer pressure like, oh, come on, don't be a wuss. Mm -hmm. You know, you go ahead and play this game to the end. You know, well, 
um, you know, maybe, the, uh, you know, God does keep them from mm -hmm. being affected because oftentimes not every Ouija board player, you know, gets right. affected by uh, an evil spirit. And I often think that that's because God is protecting them. But at some point, you're co-responsible. The minute you start seeing that or figuring out that a spirit's moving this mm -hmm. and that you might be cooperating with a bad spirit because what good spirit is going to want to play a Ouija board <laughs> game and move a planchet around and use a spiritual power just to have a fun game for a bunch of uh, people who are just irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Why? Why would you uh, do this? At some point, you're responsible for allowing, you're cooperating with that spirit. Mm -hmm. And don't think that the spirit doesn't know your exact amount of cooperation. And to that extent, he'll know that the, you know, God's gonna let you be free. So of course, at some juncture, when you are freely cooperating, and you're not just operating out of ignorance, you know, <laughs> that spirit is gonna take what control he can get. And all I can say mm -hmm. is, don't do it. Right. Just stay away from it. Right. And, you know, don't even try to get to the edge, you know, where, you know, right, I wonder if right. this is really a spirit or not. I mean, if it's moving right. by itself, uh, just don't think your psychic right. powers are that great. Right. Well, you better be, you know, right. mother used uh, to, mother wise and, about this right, and not cooperate. Right. Mother Angelica used to always say, avoid the occasion of sin. That was an old thing, you know, if you've got something yep. and you see where something can be a problem, just don't go there at all. Reminds yeah. me of a book. And resist I, peer pressure. Yeah, a book yeah. like 20, 25 years ago, something was written. It was like, uh, the fewest things you have to believe and still be Catholic. You know what I mean? Kind of like this minimalistic yeah. idea. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. not really what you should be focused on. In your faith, not a really right? good approach, <laughs> approach to, to religion. Approach to religion. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, do you have the right to any sacraments or are the sacraments a privilege? If we request to receive the sacrament of penance in a reasonable time and place, can the priest refuse? Pete. Well, I mean, if it's appropriate, mm -hmm. uh, place and time, if, if uh, you know, the, um, uh, the priest has time. So it is the case, and I've even had to do this myself, mm. where I'm already five minutes late to Mass, mm. and there's ten people outside the confessional. I just have to go out and say, you know, I'm sorry, I have to get to that Mass. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, can we do the confessions after Mass or another time? because there's just no way, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can hold up the entire congregation, uh, you know, to do that. So, I mean, I do, I'll probably go about five minutes over mass mm -hmm. time, but then after that, I'm, I'm done, go. you know, and, and, you know, but I see that happening all the time. Now, if, you know, somebody were to come into a confessional and I, and they were repentant mm -hmm. and, you know, they basically said, look, I, you know, I believe, you know, I've committed these sins and I'm repentant and I, I have a firm purpose of amendment. Uh, I, I can't imagine why a priest would turn you away mm -hmm. if, if it's within the ordinary confessional time. I, I just couldn't imagine it. Right. So, uh, uh, I mean, if the priest knows something about a person, 
that seems like they couldn't possibly be in the category of sincerely contrite uh, or, um, mm -hmm. you know, or uh, they couldn't possibly be in a position of firm purpose of amendment, something of that nature, because of some personal knowledge. Uh, maybe the priest would say, you know, you're you're coming here without the right um, disposition. Right. Um, that might possibly be, but I can't imagine any other reason. So um, that's right. the best I answer I can give. Uh, you right. uh, you got to go to another priest. Right, and and the other thing might be something as you alluded to. I mean, like a situation. Uh, that our producer's putting up uh, for me. Uh, you know, somebody comes by and knocks on the rectory door at lunchtime or whatever, and maybe it's an inconvenient oh, situation yeah. or something in between, or, you know, like you said, the priest is running yeah. out the door to do something else, and, uh, you know, this person feels That's like, right. oh, well. No, I mean, you know. uh, yeah. yeah. Put the underline on, on that word appropriate time right, and right. place. Right. So, I mean, uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, knocking on the door when the priest right. is rushing out the door or right in the middle of lunch right. when he has people there. Uh, that's not the time uh, to ask for a confession right, right. away. Now, I mean, uh, I have to be honest, most of the time, you know, when I get what I call airport confessions, right. you know, where somebody will just say, you know, okay, can I do a confession, you know, right now, mm -hmm. I will generally say yes if if I can, you know, squeeze it in and make my flight or whatever. Right, right. But, uh, but uh, basically, you know, uh, that's probably borderline not the appropriate place and right. time. But I think right. most priests will drop things and hear the confession, right. um, you know, uh, Right. Uh, you know, I mean, right. yeah. Right, and then sometimes so. you catch people at a bad time. It happens for everybody, uh, or a bad yeah. situation, and you don't sure. know what else is going on in anybody's life or anything yeah. at a particular time when you're asking for something which, sure. which might be one more thing that they are able to handle. Next up, uh, Dear Father Spitzer, right. I recently went to confession before Mass, and the person in front of me spent 20 minutes in the confessional. Fortunately, I was able to still confess, but there was others that weren't because the priest had to leave for Mass. This is a prophetic. We just had that discussion. How specific yeah. does one need to be in confession? Would it be considered uncharitable to spend so much time in the confessional so others cannot receive the sacrament? If you know you have a long confession, would it not be better to schedule an appointment outside of the regular confession times? Dan. Well, Dan, I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of penitents, and the priest, you just have to trust the priest's judgment. But there are a lot of penitents that come in thinking, well, maybe the, you know, I'll, this thing is going to be over in five minutes, and then all of a sudden, the, the issue is very thorny and complex, uh, more so than maybe the penitent realized, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And so the priest generally has to make a judgment, and generally the judgment is, is this guy gonna, if I let this guy go, am mm -hmm. I letting a soul just go on drift? I, you know, normally I try to wrap it up. Mm. Once a penitent has started, I'm going to generally not say come back again. I'm mm. going to say uh, I'm going to try and wrap it up with him because I don't want him walking out the door and thinking, well, I tried, but I could not do that. Mm. He went faithfully to confession. He's going within the hours. And so, you know, as I said, uh, you got to trust the priest's judgment. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it, it probably, you know, if you do have what you consider to be a very long uh, confession and l list of sins mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, you haven't been and, 
you know, 20 years, right. you well, may want to just ask for a, con a time outside of the regular confessional hours, especially yeah. if you've had a, a topsy-turvy life, uh, you know, sinfully, um, you know, up and down. Right, absolutely. Okay, very good. Next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, my brother passed away in a nursing home. Unfortunately, the priest was not able to get him until about 20 minutes after my brother had died. The priest still anointed him, explaining to me that we don't know for sure when the soul actually leaves the body and it is better to be safe than sorry. Was this wrong? Is there a time limit for when the sacrament can be given, Isabel? Well, Isabel, uh, generally you're supposed to give the sacrament of the sick before the person dies. Mm -hmm. But that priest has a point. I mean, he, he does. He, you know, if there's any chance at all that you know, that person may have some cognizance mm -hmm. or, you know, be comatose or, uh, you know, something of that nature, um, you know, may still be able to, to hear or respond to something, uh, then, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's, it's uh, illegitimate for that mm -hmm. priest to anoint him, right. uh, that person, just to be sure. Right. Uh, so uh, I think that's fine. I, uh, um, you know, like I said, I'm not a canon lawyer, but that seems to me, I, I would feel, you know, if I didn't know whether somebody was comatose or not, you know, if, uh, you know, and sometimes the breathing is not evident, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, uh, I, I basically, uh, and I, I don't have a mirror handy to see if there's any, you know, little respiration signs that are coming from uh, the person that would condense on the mirror. Well, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I would probably anoint that person, right. uh, even if it was 10 minutes after uh, it seemed like they died. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I, I would, right. uh, you know, I would do it. Mm -hmm. and I, I would think that that would be the appropriate thing to do and certainly would probably be appreciated by the family. Yeah. Uh, dear Father sure. Spitzer, we got about five minutes to go. My wife and I were married outside uh -huh. the church 25 years ago. I'm a baptized Catholic. She is uh -huh. not. My wife was previously married by a Lutheran pastor. We were told in order to normalize uh -huh. our marriage, she would need to obtain an annulment. Her ex was a very abusive uh -huh. guy, and she has no contact with him since the divorce. We were told by a priest on the marriage tribunal that her ex would need to be notified so all sides have the chance to be represented, and there was no way around this. My wife is very afraid that this may cause her ex to seek revenge or cause other trouble to the point she refuses to proceed. What are we to do? Joe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, Joe, that's a very special case. Um, um, normally, the ex does need to be notified by certified mail, um, but then there is the, um, the, the, the need to make sure you're not jeopardizing your life. Mm -hmm. So um, I, uh, I would have to say that in that case, um, you know, uh, uh, I would probably make an appeal uh, first to the tribunal, mm -hmm. and then if they turned down that appeal and you thought that this is really, uh, the person could seek revenge and so forth, I would appeal to the bishop. Hmm. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it's up to him uh, as to whether, you know, this uh, particular procedure uh, can be, um, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, um, uh, followed through on. And the, the idea is, of course, you know, in order to obtain the annulment is not to jeopardize your life. Mm -hmm. So I think a bishop would probably be very understanding uh, about this and could grant an exception, um, you know, to, uh, but you'd have to supply some kind of a proof 
uh, you know, that, that this guy was truly a violent person or, or something of that nature where, mm -hmm. you know, it was pretty clear that this is not just an excuse, um, you know, to, to not notify him, but there really is some form of imminent danger uh, to the person involved. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I do think there is a right of appeal there, and I'd first go to the tribunal mm -hmm. um, and ask the head of the tribunal uh, for an exception, and if that didn't work, I'd ask the bishop mm -hmm. uh, for an exception. Right. Sounds good. Three minutes to go. Dear Father Spitzer, my husband has been a Sunday Catholic all his life. He's retired for one year now and at age 71 has various health issues. He is depressed. I would like him to pray with me, but he seems unwilling to move forward. I feel resentful, but he is a very proud person. I'm at a loss, Dorothy. Well, Dorothy, uh, you know, um, I know he's depressed and uh, you know, I can just imagine if my father had not died on the job, I think if he had ever tried to retire, he would have de definitely been depressed, you know. Uh, you know, so I, I had somebody actually come up to me and ask me, you know, well, gee, now that you're 71, you're going to retire? I said, no, I get depressed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I basically said, no, I have no intention. I've got some good years ahead of me, and I like what I do, and I like serving the Lord, and I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is if a person is, you know, consigned uh, to retirement, there's all kinds of voluntary things you can do. So instead of just saying, uh, you know, pray uh, mm -hmm. with me, uh, that might not be his cup of tea yet. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, sometimes, well, would you go to just one daily mass with me per week? Maybe that's not his cup of tea yet. But you might say, hey, you know, have you ever thought about uh, teaching catechism? Or, hey, look, you're a very handy person. Uh, how about, you know, joining, uh, you know, this crew, uh, you know, that does, you know, Christmas in April? Or how mm -hmm. about, you know, doing this, uh, joining a, a charity here that, you know, that uh, have nothing to do with the Catholic Church? This food line downtown needs some people to deliver some uh, food to shut-ins. Right. Uh, would you yeah, be like a meals okay on with wheels doing that? Kind of a thing, right. Meals yeah. on wheels kind of a thing, exactly. Yeah, right. Or something like that, and you'd be surprised. Some, you know, nor, you know, they might initially say, no, I'm not interested in that. But how many people have I known, mm -hmm. truly uh, uh, that I have known, that have said, no, I'm not interested in that. I just said, come on, just come down. You know, we got this, you know, we distribute clothing here at the cathedral on Thursday or something. I'm just, mm -hmm. this is not a true example, but, you know, I, but it's similar to things that I've done. Mm -hmm. the, the key thing is, you know, you say, okay, you know, maybe I'll go with you once. And then after they've been there about an hour and a half just doing these things, you see the incredible need, your capacity. I actually had one guy said, you know, I could improve this system you got here. <laughs> I mean, you got all these cans that you're putting on the shelves haphazardly. And I just said, have at it. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, and he got hooked. And I have seen it happen again and again right. and again when, you know, we do the service learning when I was president of Gonzaga, where you see some kids who, you know, uh, service learning class, uh-oh, you know, the eyes are rolling, you know, I don't think I'm going to do any of this stuff. And then they get into something, like they're tutoring large kids. 
you know, right. I mean, they're addictive. Large kids are right. addictive. Uh, they're, you know, have sometimes Special some needs kids, uh, right. uh, uh, mental and emotional challenges, right. Right. but they're the neatest kids in the whole wide world. Absolutely. And, you know, then they get into doing the play with the large kids, and then they got some ideas for the next play, and blah, 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 blah. But the main thing, though, is, is if you can get him to do something you know, where he's right. out of the house. He's not just sitting right. around. He's using talents that he likes to use, that he's that keep him relaxed. Right. There's not going to be a high stress right. job. You're just going to deliver the food to these five right. places. You and know, that and is then go uh, home. A and, good, an excellent yeah. point. And because we're out of time, uh, we have to uh, <laughs> say goodbye. Good. <laughs> so if you would just uh, give us your blessing on the way out the door, that'd be great, Father. Absolutely. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all consolation, the Lord of all wisdom, the Lord through his Holy Spirit who inspires, guides, and protects us, give you that spirit so that you might not only guide your own life, but help others to guide theirs into the fullness of joy in his heavenly kingdom. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We'll see you next week. Don't forget all about Father Spitzer's books and DVDs through our catalog. Next week, we continue on with the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. We pick that up again. And Science at the Doorstep of God, of course, is a bookmark coming up with Father Robert Spitzer. When we taped it in Napa, look forward to that. And don't forget, Father Spitzer's Universe is available as a podcast on our Podcast Central. Go to EW10.com forward slash radio. And click on podcast. You can listen to Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, all your other favorite programs. Anytime you want, there's EW10 Podcast Central, our great radio shows, many of our video shows, and the best of the rest. Check them out. Check us out next time right here in Father Spitzer's Universe. We'll see you then.